If you say pazopanib, you'll say telazoparib. If you say pazopanib, you'll say telazoparib. Pazopanib, pazopanib, telazoparib, tel you know, forget it. Let's talk PARP inhibitors. Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Uh, we're recording this from my office uh, at the uh, sponsor of Oncopharm Pod, the, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy here in Mountain Home, Tennessee, where fall has finally arrived. And I apologize for that uh, attempt at singing uh, in the open there. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, two days ago, uh, on October 16th, uh, the FDA approved uh, talazoparib. Uh, which is the fourth PARP inhibitor approved. And this approval was for um, patients with breast cancer that was either locally advanced or metastatic that had deleterious or suspected deleterious. Deleterious is a fun word to say, but it means bad. So for patients with bad uh, germline BRCA mutations uh, with breast cancer that was HER2 negative. And this was based on the Embraca study. Um, the dosing here is one milligram by mouth daily comes as one milligram and 0.25 milligram capsules, and it can be taken with or without food, which is always nice. So as I mentioned, this is a PARP inhibitor, and PARP stands for poly-ADP ribose polymerase. And there are a couple different PARP enzymes, and uh, talazoparib inhibits PARP1 and PARP2, and also uh, works by PARP trapping, potentially. Uh, so PARP trapping is the sequestration or trapping of PARP DNA complexes. And there's been some thought that PARP trapping leads to a lot of the hematologic toxicity you can, that can be seen with PARP inhibitors. And talazoparib uh, has 100 times more PARP trapping than alaparib. And I mention the comparison to alaparib, um, importantly, uh, because of the four, um, or of the other three PARP inhibitors approved, alaparib is the only one that has a breast cancer indication that is basically the same as talazoparib. So what does PARP do? So we know it targets this enzyme, the PARP inhibitor. So PARP is an enzyme that basically re repairs single-strand breaks. Uh, so imagine there's a, a small little break in a DNA strand. Uh, PARP, PARP, the enzyme, repairs that via base excision. Now, if you block the PARP enzyme, then these single-strand breaks uh, are maintained, and then they lead to double-strand breaks. And if you get to the double-strand break, breaks, um, then the BRCA enzymes can repair those via homologous repair. So what this means is if you block PARP and then you're in a cell line that does not have functional BRCA, you're going to end up with cell death. Otherwise, if you have functional BRCA, the BRCA genes can repair the double-strand break that was caused by the single-strand break caused by the PARP inhibition, and then everything's honky-dory. Everything's okay. Uh, so the PARP inhibitors seem to be more effective uh, and pharmacologically make sense in BRCA deficient or BRCA mutated cell lines. Uh, so this has been shown in ovarian cancer and breast cancer and so on and so forth. So let's get right into the, uh, the approval data for this and, and we'll compare that to um, olaparib since that's kind of the best comparator. We won't talk about the other two PARP inhibitors, rucaparib and niraparib, uh, since they're just for ovarian cancer. And honestly, that'd be a lot to try to talk about four drugs comparisons in one uh, incy weensy tiny podcast. So Embraca was published uh, in August of this year, 2018, in the New England Journal of Medicine. 431 patients were randomized in a two-to-one fashion to either talazoparib or chemo. 
So 287 patients in the TALA group and then 149 in the chemo group. And the chemo was basically up to the physician discretion of one of four agents, capecitabine, eribulin, venorobine, and gemcitabine, all of which would be appropriate single agent chemotherapy regimens, um, which, which may be a uh, kind of an odd thing uh, when we think of uh, these patients. So let's look at the baseline demographics here. So these were younger patients because this was a germline mutation they had to have in BRCA. This was an inherited mutation. So it makes sense that these patients are maybe a little bit younger than you would expect in, in typical breast cancer patients. So they were 40, median age was 45 in the TALA group, 50 in the chemo group. 94% in both groups had metastatic disease. So it was mostly metastatic, although the approval is for metastatic and locally advanced disease. Um, 42 to 45 percent of patients in each group respectively were triple negative the rest having a hormone positive status and a 38 and 39 percent in each group received no chemotherapy um, now i don't know you know how appropriate it would be not to give them an anthracycline or a taxane or even a platinum agent if they were triple negative but uh, almost 40 percent of patients here were chemotherapy naive that doesn't mean they were treatment naive but they were cytotoxic chemotherapy naive and what we end up seeing here is that there's a three-month benefit in median progression-free survival that is statistically significant for talazoprib. So 8.6 months compared to 5.6 months. That is a hazard ratio of 0.54. So fairly meaningful effect size. There was no statistically significant difference in median overall survival. Uh, there was a higher response rate, and I'll just um, talk about the complete response rate, which was 5.5%. 5.5% with talazoparib compared to 0%, so no complete responses in the chemo group. Uh, if you go look at the protocol, they have, uh, as far as the dosing for the chemo drugs, they have the full-on um, FDA-approved dose. So for example, capecitabine, the 1,250 milligrams per meter squared per dose, um, twice daily uh, for two weeks on one week off. And most people do not start at that. They start at 1,000 milligrams, uh, at least here in, uh, in the West where we have folate fortified foods. Um, now, there is a note that you know physicians and institutions could basically use their local practices. So my hunch is, just from what I've seen in metastatic breast cancer, is that many of these patients were treated at lower doses of the chemotherapy group. Uh, as we move into toxicity, you see something that's maybe a little surprising, and there's a little bit of subtle bias, in my opinion, in this publication, in that, uh, you know, the, the the New England Journal of Medicine publication has the rate of grade three, four toxicity, the rate of discontinuation. But if you want to see the actual toxicity, you got to go to the supplementary appendix to see the table, um, which is an extra step, but I think it's striking here because uh, we think of oral drugs, oral anti-cancer drugs, as having you know a wide variety of side effects, but not a whole lot of myelosuppression. That's not necessarily the case for PARP inhibitors. So we see anemia. Uh, occurred in 53% of all patients in the telosoperative group compared to 18% with chemo. Now, grade 3 anemia occurred in 39% with telosoperib compared to 4% with chemo. Uh, there was slightly more neutropenia in the chemo group, 43% compared to 35%. Uh, grade 3 neutropenia, 18% with telosoperib compared to 20%. So, fairly equivalent neutropenia rates. And again, if you had put a whole bunch of people, say, on, I don't know, venorobine or aribulin, you probably would see more neutropenia than you would say capecitabine or gemcitabine. So, a little hard to compare one drug to a, a cohort that could have received four drugs when you look at toxicity. Um, something that's always been 
felt a little uneasy to me about these types of studies. Uh, thrombocytopenia was more common in the talazoparib group, 27% versus 7% for all grades, and grade 3 thrombocytopenia, 11% versus 2% with more thrombocytopenia in the talazoparib group. And alopecia was 25% with talazoparib compared to 28% with chemo. Uh, so you see more anemia um, and you know equivalent levels of neutropenia and alopecia and a little bit more thrombocytopenia. So in general, this drug is a little bit more myelosuppressive, I would say, uh, than chemo. Now, uh, the elaprib indication for the same uh, for the same group of patients is based on the Olympiad study, which was published the previous year in the New England Journal of Medicine, so August of 2017, and they were also randomized two to one, so 200 patients on elaprib versus 97 on chemo, so a smaller study, uh, and the chemo group did not include gemcitabine, but did include capecitabine, aribulin, or venorobine, and they saw a seven-month median progression-free survival for elaprib compared to 4.2 months for chemo. So almost a three-month difference, uh, similar to the three-month difference you saw in the Embraca study. Again, we should not make uh, cross-draw comparisons, although the baseline demographics are uh, fairly close between both these studies. So then the question comes to, uh, let's say you have a woman uh, who a physician wants to treat with a PARP inhibitor who's got a germline BRCA mutation that's deleterious um, you know, not a candidate for, doesn't want to try chemo, or maybe thinks that this is better. Uh, so would you do talazoparib or laparib? Well, let's look at this. Um, for me, anyway, uh, the easiest thing to do is look at the warnings precautions uh, initially. So they both have warnings for myelodysplastic syndrome, which has occurred in only two patients per the package insert so far with talazoparib, which is 0.3%. Uh, the laparib group just has less than 1.5%, but does have it as a warning. Uh, there is a warning for myelosuppression with talazoparib where there is not for elaparib. And generally, the rate of grade 3 neutropenia is two times as much for talazoparib compared to elaparib, although elaparib still does cause uh, a fair amount of anemia. Um, so while elaparib doesn't have a, a warning for myelosuppression in the package there, it does have a warning for pneumonitis. And they both have warnings for embryo-fetal toxicity. Uh, so the uh, talazoparib group appears to be would be more myelosuppressive than elaparib. So let's say you had someone who did not have any treatment up front, uh, then maybe they'd be better off tolerating or more likely to tolerate talazoparib. If they had been heavily pretreated, then probably better off maybe handling uh, elaparib since it seems to be a little bit less have less hematologic toxicity. We'd also look at the drug-drug interaction profile between these drugs and a patient's uh, concomitant medications. Um, so elaparib, like many of our um, oral anti-cancer agents, is metabolized hepatically via CYP34, and there are drug interactions to worry about with CYP34 inhibitors and inducers. Um, Talazoparib is a little bit different in that uh, it's excreted um, to a large extent renally with some uh, multiple types of hepatic metabolism. So there are no dose reductions required for inhibitors, um, so P450 inhibitors with talazoparib. However, uh, there is a reduction for p glycoprotein inhibitors, and it's a little odd how they word this in a package insert, in my opinion. So uh, these four drugs, amiodarone, five drugs, sorry, amiodarone, carvedilol, clarithromycin, itraconazole, and verapamil as p glycoprotein inhibitors 
led to a 45% increase in exposure of talisoparib. Uh, and therefore, with those drugs, patients should receive a 0.75 milligram dose, so a 25% dose reduction up front. Uh, there, there was also a list of other P-glycoprotein inhibitors, and they don't call these um, potent or moderate or weak in the packet insert. And I, quite honestly, I'm not that familiar with potency of P-glycoprotein inhibition, but apparently there is such a thing. Uh, because diltiazem, atorvastatin, quercetin, and some other drugs led to just a, a, an 8% increase um, in telozoprib exposure. So there are dose reductions for P-glycoproteins, uh, and the ones mentioned in the packet insert that we would worry about are amiodarone, carvedilol, clarithromycin, itraconazole, and verapamil. Whether other P-glycoprotein inhibitors not included in the packet insert um, interact in a similar way, uh, we don't know, but I certainly would, would check for those for a patient, and um, I don't know that I would empirically dose reduce because I don't want to unnecessarily uh, maybe cut the legs out of the treatment and make it less effective and underdose it when I don't know that I am underdosing it, but I'm going to be a little bit more worried about watching for toxicity. Uh, so, talazoparib is cleared renally, so there is a dose reduction for patients with a creatinine clearance of 30 to 59, uh, reducing by one dose level to 0.75. And like with every new drug, there's no dosing on patients with severe renal impairment or on hemodialysis. So, you know, we're up to our best guess as to what to do with those patients. So that's talazoparib, or talazoparib, however uh, you want to say it. Um, as, as you've noticed, I've kind of flipped back and forth so far on the podcast. Well, thanks for listening to this week's um, OncoFarm podcast. I hope to hope you'll tune in next week. Uh, download. Feel free to find us in the iTunes store. Give us a five-star rating. Review us. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of. There's always something new to talk about uh, in oncology pharmacy. So uh, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you all a little further down the road. Thank you.